Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I have been waiting legitimately all week for this exact spot as we welcome in Vince Mercagliano of Loha.com and USA Today covers the Rangers for them. You can see him on SNY talking some Rangers as well. Vince, there's so much here to get into. I know the Rangers had their, you know, uh, clean out day, whatever you want to call it, wrap up day on Wednesday, and there was a lot to come of that. We still await potentially more with Chris Jury, but I- I've read your stuff. Uh, I love uh, all the stuff that you have, all the info, and I wanted to clear some things up here if possible. So we appreciate you taking the time. First, let's get into Drury. Do you expect Chris Jury, Vince, to speak at some point in the near future? Yeah, for sure. The question is going to be when. I actually, out of curiosity, went back and looked last year. When did he speak at the end of the season? It was a couple days after breakup day, so we're right in that window right now. But as far as what I've heard from the Rangers, there hasn't been anything. I asked on Wednesday if there was plans for him to speak anytime soon. I was told they didn't know yet. They would let us know. So right now he has not said anything, and I think that is letting the questions about Gerard Gallant and what his future is kind of linger. Right now, we don't have any clarity on that. Gallant did speak on Wednesday, so some people interpreted that as a sign that maybe he will stick around. But until Chris Drury comes out and says one way or the other, I think there's going to kind of be this curiosity hanging in the air. And it is interesting that we haven't heard anything yet as far as when he will speak. Right. So, and and Gallant, the way that he was speaking was like, I can't even believe you guys are questioning, which I do understand to a certain extent. However, because of the way that they lost, that does leave things open. And the fact that Drury is not, you you can look at it two ways. One, yeah, he let Gallant speak, which thinks, okay, well, yeah, he's going to be out there and and he'll be back. Why would you let him speak if that wasn't going to be the case? Or you can look at it the other way is he hasn't come out and publicly backed him yet, which would mean trouble. What do you think is going on here with the Rangers? Well, Sal, what I've heard is that the decision, the word a source gave me was mulled. They are considering, deciding, figuring it out, however you want to phrase it. I think that right now, behind closed doors, they're trying to figure out exactly what the next move is. I do believe that there is a possibility for a coaching change, but the fact that we haven't heard anything yet tells me that that decision is not set in stone. Obviously, Gallant talking yesterday led people to believe that, at least for the time being, he's still around. I can give you a quick history. I know this. When we go back to early in the season, late November, early December, the Rangers were struggling. They started the season. They only won 11 of their first 26 games. There was a lot of frustration within the organization about the way that things were going. And I have it. I've reported it at the time, and I've written about it again this week. 
they explored other options at the time. There were conversations about would they make a coaching change in the season, and I think they were putting feelers out for other candidates to see that if they did decide to make that decision, would they have somebody they were comfortable going to. Now, at the time, the, the Rangers had lost that game to the Chicago Blackhawks on December 3rd, I believe it was. That was the game where Truba threw the helmet. There was a lot of frustration there. But after that, they rattled off seven wins in a row. They kind of turned their season around, and that made it safe for Gallant for at least the time being. But the true evaluation was always going to come in the playoffs. And we saw what they did at the trade deadline, getting Patrick Kane, getting Vladimir Tarasenko. Obviously, that raised expectations even higher. And then to go out in the fashion that they did, it was reasonable, I think, for people to wonder, okay, well, what's the next move? And as we touched on, Jury hasn't talked about it yet, so we're still kind of waiting on that. And what I've heard right now is that there are still ongoing conversations, it seems. And what could be happening here is that if they do decide to make the change, they probably want to feel pretty good about who they're going to pivot to. Mm. I don't think they want to just fire him without having a guy pretty much lined up that they feel like is going to be an upgrade in that coaching position. So maybe it's going to be a wait and see kind of thing. This could linger for a while. And that's kind of a, you know, unfortunate position for Gallant. You understand why he was defensive about it on Wednesday, but the reality is, and I'm sure he knows this, we're not just putting it out there for the sake of putting it out there. I think this is being talked about a lot. I think sources from me, from a lot of other people, a lot of the guys that cover the whole league are talking about this as well. It's out there that the Rangers are kind of deciding what the next move is, and he's kind of twisting in the wind for now, which is, you know, not a great position for him. But I believe that they're trying to get their ducks in a row behind the scene before they make the final call. And he probably deserves a better fate, but hey, that's business. All right, a couple more on this jury and Gallant before we get into the rest of the team individually here. Uh, I heard today, I was alerted today to some story or reports or I guess rumors about a fight between Gallant and Drury after Game 4 of the postseason. You know, that first round of Game 4, an unacceptable performance. Uh, Rangers at home against the Devils. Did you hear anything about that? Is there any truth to an issue, potential fight behind closed doors that was loud enough, though, for many people to hear with Gallant and Drury? Yeah, that report came from Elliot Friedman. He covers uh, the whole league for Sportsnet. He's one of the you know most well-respected and well-known reporters for the NHL. So I definitely trust Elliot. He, he very rarely is off on anything that he reports. I can tell you I was around the team every single day throughout that playoff run. I never personally heard any kind of an argument. But as I mentioned, there were frustrations during the season where – whether it's ownership level, management level, there was some frustration with the way that things were going under Gallant in that late November, early December time. Now, again, he turned the season around. The Rangers ended up rallying and making the playoffs. But you can imagine that if they had considered a coaching change during the season, that it might right. be reasonable that they would be thinking about it again at this time. And, again, as far as Elliot Friedman's reporting is concerned, I would think that that's probably accurate. Okay, so so then my question, we're talking with Vince Mercagliano, covers the Rangers for LoHud and USA Today, team on SNY as well. Would you or do you think they need to make a coaching change? And if they do, whether you would or wouldn't, who are we looking at? Yeah, Sal, it's a tough question. You know, you look at his track record here. Obviously, his first season was a smashing success. At the time, the Rangers felt like they had a good team, but it had been five years since they got to the playoffs, and you got to give him credit for being the guy that got them over the hump. They had a tremendous season last year, and then they go on that run that a lot of people weren't expecting all the way to the Eastern Conference Final. But in some ways, he was a victim of the expectations that he helped set. We talked about the trade deadline acquisitions and how that kind of raised the bar. 
And then you look at the way that the series went against the Devils. The Devils got better and better as that series went on, and the Rangers got worse and worse. And what was really exposed, I believe, is A, the Rangers' struggles at five-on-five. We know they have great goaltending with Igor Shesterkin, and historically in recent years they've been a really good power play team. But at five-on-five, at even strength, they don't seem to keep pace very well with some of the best teams in the league. And a team like the Devils, which a lot of people will tell you is arguably the fastest team in the entire NHL, the Rangers don't have the foot speed to, to hang with a team like that. I believe one of the main goals for the Rangers moving forward is going to be to make this lineup faster. And, you know, by bringing in some of these older veteran type of guys that aren't exactly the strongest skaters, I think it got a little too redundant. I think they kind of got caught stargazing instead of trying to build a really well-rounded team. So in that regard, you could say, well, maybe Gerard Gallant didn't exactly have the personnel or the well-balanced roster that he needed to succeed against a team like the Devils. But at the same time, I think it's hard to dispute that he didn't get outcoached in that series. Every adjustment and move that Lindy Ruff seemed to make work, and Gerard Gallant didn't seem to be able to find a proper counter move. So I think it's a really interesting debate. It's kind of that chicken versus the egg. Right. Is it more of the players who underperformed in the series, or could there have been coaching adjustments that he didn't do a good enough job of making? I think it's up for debate. And again, I think if you're going to make the move, you want to feel like you have a candidate that you really feel good about instead of just making the move for the sake of So making. you, and you wrote, Vince, about uh, Quenville, their interest in him, uh, some of the other guys. I mean, in hockey, it seems like every two years, these guys, even though they're successful, getting fired. There's coaches all over the place. Is there a clear-cut guy? I mean, I don't think they're going to go down the road of Messier, although that would be intriguing to me because everybody else is basically the same as Gallant, right? All these guys have had some success, but ultimately have gotten fired anyway. Barry Trotz, I'd love. He's not going to be available. Who's the guy then? Yes, Al, we could have a whole conversation about a lot of sports do this, but I feel like it's even more prevalent in the NHL. There's just this lack of, I think, creative thinking or outside-of-the-box thinking. They seem to recycle the same head coaches all this time instead of giving new guys a try. I mean, even Gallant, this is his fourth head coaching stop. So I think because the Rangers are in such a win-now mode, and even though they have a lot of young players, their core guys, Zabanajad, Panarin, Kreider, are all 30-plus. So I don't think that they're looking to really have a coach develop on, uh, on their time. I think they're looking for a guy who they feel confident can step in and win right away. And that's why you're going to hear guys like Quinville and, you know, maybe a Daryl Sutter or someone like that. Those are guys that have won in the past, but I think would feel kind of stale right now. And in the Quinville case, he would come with a lot of controversy because he was involved in that Blackhawk scandal. And, you know, the reports are that he kind of helped cover that up. So that's a move that seems like it would be a controversial move. Did the Rangers really want to touch that? So honestly, I don't think there is a clear cut guy out there right now, unless they're going to kind of pivot and, and think a little more outside of the box instead of looking into the recycled coaches bin. All right, let's start to get into some of the players here on this roster that obviously needs a little bit of a, and I don't want to say overhaul, but they need to change some things up. We're talking with Vince Mercagliano, covers the Rangers for USA Today Sports and Loha.com. Uh, let's start with this one, a different one. Jacob Truba as a captain. You like it or not? Because I feel like, I don't think he did a great job. You're there every day. You cover this team. You know it better than anybody. What do you think of Truba as a captain? Sal, I really do believe that he has the respect of the room. A lot of guys talked about it on Wednesday, and a lot of guys talked about it throughout the season. And I know for fans, you, maybe from the outside looking in, you could look at a moment like him throwing the helmet up against the boards and, and barking at the bench in that December game that they lost against the Blackhawks and think, ah, oh, you know, it seems kind of superficial. But I talked to a lot of guys in the locker room in, in the days that followed, and that really did send a message, and the season really did turn around from there. 
obviously the team had to play better. That was the most important thing. But I think he tried to galvanize in them in that moment. I know he did some stuff behind the scenes as far as closed-door team meetings without the coaches there, him taking the lead. I know that he's a guy that when it comes to organizing team activities, he, he's always at the forefront of that. He you know, runs the group text messages, all, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that the guys in the room believe that he was the right choice, and I think that Chris Drury got input from a lot of the veteran guys in the room before he made that decision. So I, I think most players on the team feel really good about Truba as the captain. And he's a very thoughtful guy. I, I know he, he's done research into leadership and things like that. And I, I think he'll continue to grow into the role. And I, and I do think that it was a le- He talked a lot about it yesterday. This was quite a learning experience for him as a first season doing it. Okay, good enough for me. You sold me. You're there every day. We're from the outside. I'm watching this, you know, as a, a fan's perspective. And I'm just like, eh, I don't know. You know, because I'm comparing everybody, Vince, right or wrong. I compare everybody to the Messier because that's what I grew up with, watching him succeed as a captain. And I'm not seeing that leading on the ice necessarily with that type of play from uh, Jacob Trouba. But you sold Well, you want to talk about his play. I mean, this was not his best season. I think his on-the-ice play was better last season. Maybe the pressure of the captaincy had something to Mm. do with that. But as, as far as how he's perceived by his teammates, I think that he has the respect of a lot of those guys, and I think that they they wanted him as the captain, and they got what they wanted. All right, how about Mika? Why is Mika? You know, it's funny, Vince. I was there uh, in Game Six, taking my nephew. We had a great night that the Ranger actually, you know, able to score some goals. And you see Mika Zibanejad score the goal finally, and instead of celebrating, he kind of had this exhale, like, "Yeah, about freaking time." What is the problem with Mika in the postseason? Sal, you know, there's a lot of guys we could criticize, and Mika did not have a good series. I'm not going to sit here and, and argue that he did. But last year in the playoffs, I thought, other than Igor, who's in his own category, Mika was their best player and their most important skater throughout the postseason. So last year, I thought he had a very good playoff run. This year, he disappointed. Again, I think the whole team was having trouble dealing with that speed and that forecheck of the Devils. So, I mean, it's a legitimate question moving forward, but, you know, we had, uh, as writers, we got to vote on who the team MVP was in the regular season. Mika was my vote for number one. Mika was the guy who ended up winning that award. I thought he was their best skater in the playoffs last year. So I don't look at Mika as a guy that I'm worried about as far as his postseason play. I just think like a lot of the guys in that team, he had a, a rough couple weeks, but He's honestly one of the least guys I think I would worry about. Okay, and the reason, why, and I got a list of guys, obviously, that I have an issue with, and the reason why he was a top is because you nailed it. He was their best player. So how do you go from their best player in the regular season? And you're right, last year, until he kicked it into gear in that Penguin series, they, they weren't, remember, they were struggling early on in that series, losing game one or whatever in triple overtime. Mika finally kicked it into gear, especially on the road, and had the big game six, if memory serves correct. And then every, they took off from there. So I love him as a player, but you can't just be absent in the postseason after dominating in the regular season. And speaking of that, how about Artemi Panarin, Vince? What is his issue? This is now two years in a row where he's invisible in the postseason. Yeah, Sal, that, that to me is a bigger concern. He's also a higher-paid guy. I mean, he's the highest-paid guy on that roster. And with the salary cap situation in the NHL right now, where it's been stagnant for years and it's only going up by a million dollars next year, all of these teams are so tight on cap, salary cap space. So to have the third highest payer, uh, highest paid player in the entire league not stepping up for you in the playoffs, I mean, that's a problem. That's a real concern. I know there are people in the organization who are frustrated with that. And I know Panarin is frustrated about that. That was my whole story today that I wrote about because he stood at his locker yesterday, and I give him credit. He fielded the questions. He did his best to answer it. But 
it sounds like it's had this sort of snowball effect and become almost this mental block for him where he was frustrated with how the playoffs went last year. He put a lot of pressure on himself this year to do better, and it sounded like when one game didn't go well, it kind of led to another game that didn't go well and another game that didn't go well, and it, it had this cascading effect. And the questions with him are this. He puts up points at such a high rate in the regular season, but he's a smaller player, and once the playoffs start, as we know, anybody who's watched playoff hockey can tell you this, the space gets tighter. There's a lot less room to maneuver. He's a guy who needs open ice to let his playmaking skills shine, and he just doesn't have that time and space to work with in the playoffs. And I also think there's this give and take of he's a guy who's sort of a high-risk player. He loves those east-west, those cross-ice passes. That's what makes him special. But those turnovers can be really costly in the playoffs. It hurt him big time last year, so he talked about this year being really hyper-conscious of not wanting to take unnecessary risks with the puck. But when a guy like that starts to play it too safe, you take away from the skills that make him special. So I think that's a give and take that he's been having right recently too is, you know, when do I go for, you know, one of those crazy passes that could result in, in a backdoor play or an open, open look for one of my teammates? And when do I have to just advance the puck forward and play it a little more simple? I think that's something that he's struggling with as well. And it's a concern moving forward because he has not been good now two straight plays. Yeah, and I feel like that's a team-wide thing, Vince, and maybe he's the leader of it because they're thinking too much. You could see it. They let it get in their head, whether they don't score a goal one night, whether it's the bigger goaltender. They're thinking too much not to make a pass. When should I shoot? When should I pass? That's a major problem at, like how do they fix it i mean panera's not going anywhere right so how are they going to fix it and how are they going to get tougher to to be the way that you need to be in the postseason and you know win those battles along the boards play tough physical hockey when you got finesse guys like panera that aren't even doing their job in the postseason yeah, Sal, it's a good question because they, they are locked in with this core a lot of these guys are on long-term contracts a big chunk of that salary cap space that we talked about, there's like seven guys that are eating up almost 70% of their salary cap space, Panarin being one of them. And the other thing is, you go down the list, Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider, Truba, Trocek, all of those guys have no movement clauses. So you can't trade them without their permission. So I don't think any of those guys are going anywhere. I think the Rangers need to find ways around them to, to make tweaks to this roster to improve it. And they're going to have to do it with very, very limited salary cap space. My, my projection right now is they have a little over $12 million in salary cap space to fill eight or nine spots. That's like a million, million and a half dollars per person to spend on a player. So you're not going to be able to go out and make a big free agent splash. You're going to have to be savvy. You're going to have to be smart. I think they, they're probably going to look into some trade potential. You could see maybe some guys lower down on the roster who, who make like, you know, three or so million dollars. A guy like Barclay Gaudreau is a name that I've heard who could be floated, even though he brings a lot of the grit that you're talking about. Mm. They're paying $3.6 million a year for a fourth liner. It, with their salary cap situation, that's a tough pill to swallow. So I wouldn't be shocked to see a name like that floated around to possibly clear some salary cap space. But they're going to need to uncover some hidden gems, and they're going to need some of their prospects to come up and make an impact because those are the really cheap contracts, the entry-level contracts for prospects, guys like Brennan Offman, Will Cooley, some of these young guys that they have coming through the pipeline. They're going to need to get contributions from those guys. But again, to me, they got to find 
guys who can add speed to this lineup, and they're going to have to find a way to do it in a relatively cheap manner because they don't have a lot of money to spend. A couple more for you, Vince, before we let you go. We're talking with Vince Mercagliano, Rangers reporter for USA Today Sports and com. You mentioned some of the young players, the kid line. I don't know if we want to call that anymore, whatever. Lafreniere has been a bust. I don't understand it. Every other number one pick is an impactful player. The Rangers finally have a number one pick. They get Lafreniere. He's done nothing. What do we, I mean, what are they going to do here? You can't keep running the same line out there. Heedle's fine, and I think Kako has got some potential. What do they do with Lafreniere? Is he a player that they look to move on from? You know, Sal, if you asked me that a year ago, I would have given you a hard no. Now I would say it would not shock me. I don't necessarily think it's inevitable, but it would not shock me. It would have to be a haul coming back. They'd have to, you know, either be getting multiple players that they like that can help fill out the bottom of their lineup with some upside draft picks. It would have to be some kind of a substantial package. To, to give up on the number one overall pick in the draft. I do still believe that there's a, a solid player in there. I don't think he's an all-star. I think that, that hopes of him being some big-time star, that's probably gone out the window. Yeah, like Jack I, Hughes, you know, another number no, one he's pick. Not that. Yeah, right. He's not that. Yeah, he's not that. And the skating is an issue. He's not a very fast player. So if you want to make this team faster, are you going to be able to do it with guys like that in the lineup? I'm not so sure. So I, I've reached the point now where it would not shock me if they explored trade opportunities, but it's one of those things where you can only pull the trigger on a deal if you really get something significant back. But the other thing that I think you have to look at is stop playing those three guys together. Right. They've been burying those three on the third line for a couple of years in a row now. They have to, for those guys to really grow into more prominent roles, you have to put them into more prominent roles. And Capo Caco talked about that yesterday when we asked him, you know, about goals for next season and where he feels like he needs to improve. He said, I need more ice time. I need to play on the power play. I need to move up in the lineup and get more minutes. And that's, what's going to help me grow. And, and I think that he's a guy who you've seen earn it. I think we've seen the points weren't huge. He had 40 points this year, which is a career high. So it's trending in the right direction, but you've got to give him opportunities further up in the lineup. And you've got to give him some power play time for these guys to really come out of their shell. You look at Jack Hughes within a year or two, that guy was playing 18, 19 minutes a night. Kako, Lafreniere, those guys, they're playing more like 13, 14 minutes a night. So if you really want them to blossom, I think you got to give them more opportunity. And I think you got to stop maybe playing all three of them together and move at least one or two of them up in the lineup a little bit. And I think that's something the Rangers are going to have to do because Kane, Tarasenko, guys like that, they're probably not going to be able to afford bringing them back. So you're going to need the young guys to step up. Yeah, and you're going to need to make changes regardless. Like, if you mention all the other guys who are under contract with no move clauses, they're not going anywhere, so who's changing? So if they're not changing these lines, and maybe then, you know, changing a little bit of the fourth line, it's not happening. Kane, Tarasenko, either of those guys back, Vince? Highly unlikely, Sal. They really don't have the cap space for it unless one of them was going to take a, a, like a huge discount to stay here, but even listening to both of them talk yesterday, I think they both understand it's unlikely and they're going to have to shop around in free agency. You never say never. You know, I've heard that the Kane would love the opportunity to stay here, but this is a guy who is making $10.5 million this season. Is he going to come back and play with the Rangers for a million or $2 million a year? I, I find that hard to believe. So, to me, both guys are probably unlikely yeah, to be good, back. Good luck if Kane could get more than that. I'd, like, I'd love to have Tarasenko back. And I actually wouldn't even mind 
giving it a go again with Kane, but come on. I mean, it's got to be realistic. Obviously, they don't have much to play with anyway, and he owes them. He should take a, a team-friendly deal to give it another run. Well, he might need surgery, Sal. He told us yesterday he might need surgery on his hip right. at some point this offseason, so you have that to deal with as well. All right. Probably not worth it there, so it's unfortunate. Uh, two more quickies. Adam Fox, you think he's just tired? I mean, that play in Game 7, that would be a bad play if it happened in October against the Blue Jackets. Can't happen in Game 7 against the Devils in, in a postseason. You think Fox was just tired? Tired or what is up with Adam Fox in the subpar performance? It was uncharacteristic because if you could say anything about Adam Fox, who, who by the way he was named a finalist tonight for the Norris Trophy, which Saw is that. the best defenseman in the league. So you know another tremendous season for him, no doubt about it. What was uncharacteristic to me about that play is of all things that you say about Adam Fox, it's that he's a smart player. He's a heads up player. He always seems to make the right read. He always seems to be aware of what's going on in the ice, and that just seemed like a lack of awareness in that moment, and it cost the Rangers big because they already weren't playing well, and then once the Devils took the lead in that Game 7, it felt like the Rangers were chasing the game for, for the rest of the way and weren't going to be able to come back. Huge mistake by him. He, he admitted it. He, he took full responsibility. He was beating himself up pretty good about that. But, yeah, he, he's one of those guys like Mika. I mean, on the list of guys I would be concerned about, Adam Fox is at the top of the list of guys that I'm not worried about. One of the best defensemen in the league. You know, he didn't have a good game seven, but you look at the way he started that series. He had six assists in the first two games. So he was one of the guys who really came to play right off the bat. You got to look at it as a learning experience, you hope for him. He's still relatively young, and he's going to be here for a long time. He's under a long term contract, and, you know, the best defenseman they've had since Brian Leach. Yeah. So. Not a guy I would be very worried about. Uh, I'm not, but it is for, you know, look, to win a Stanley Cup, when Brian Leach isn't making that mistake. To win a Stanley Cup, you got to be, I mean, he's, he'll learn from this and grow. And you're right, I'm not no, ultimately worried about him, but he's one of the reasons why they lost that game seven. And when your best players aren't playing up to their best ability, you could be in trouble. Last one, Vince, we'll save the best for last. Igor, I mean, I love him. I know Ranger fans do. He even held himself accountable when he didn't have to. It's the same thing with this Rangers team, whether it's Lundqvist and the team not doing enough in front of him. Now Igor, team not doing enough in front of him. He righted the ship after a shaky start, but Igor said that he wants to be even better next year. Is that possible? Well, it is if you look at his season in totality. I mean, last year he was historically good, one of the best save percentages in NHL history. He won the Vesna Trophy. This year, for the first really three, four months of the season, very uneven for him, very hot and cold, very up and down. And finally, he had been kind of mum about this. But yesterday at breakup day, he spoke at length about it and said he put a lot of pressure on himself and it aided him. Mm. And when he had bad games, he kind of let that fester. Again, we go back to guys overthinking and these mental blocks, which, as you touched on, seem to be kind of prevalent in that locker room. But give him credit because – Around February, shortly, he had this slump right out of the All-Star break where he had seven or eight really not-so-great starts in a row. But there was a point where it clicked in late February, and he took off from there. He finished the season really strong, and he, to me, was the best player on either side in that series. If Igor doesn't play as well as he did, that series could have ended even sooner. The Rangers were really lucky to have him in goal. The guys in front of him definitely let him down. But, you know, you ask anybody on the Devils, they talked about how difficult it was to beat him. He's their backbone. He's their most important player. He was the best player on either side in that series. And he's the number one reason that you look at the Rangers as a contender for the foreseeable future. Because as long as they have him in net, they're always going to have a chance. That's exactly right. As long as he is there, they will have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Vince, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Sal. Happy to do it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hyundai. 